everybody to another episode of talking upstream literally my favorite show that comes on sundays right before and or after any other kind of a talk show that i love watching but i do love this one the most and this is uh you know obviously dylan's on here i don't know if you guys know this or not but dylan was nominated podcaster of the year by the scenes now so it wasn't that, for a treat okay. uh <laughs> well that's kind of what it was uh so anyway uh you know if, if you know us and you watch one of our shows or listen to any of our podcasts you know that we are big time creators we love to create uh we like to make people giggle we like to do a lot of things and we try to create a lot of stuff you know movies uh, uh tv shows comic books but one thing we never really worked on what was like a, a like a comic stand-up routine uh which is not really our forte like kind of putting together jokes or trying to link all that together it doesn't really kind of fit with what we do um aren't, but aren't i think it's something we definitely should do because <laughs> I am yes, but we don't do this together. No. And I think with oh, your God. writing and and my and my constant need to be talking, I think we could pull <laughs> something through. Uh, but the reason that I'm asking uh, if if we can work on this kind of stuff, and obviously uh, this is the stupid banter that we get to before our amazing <laughs> guests, because I'm so nervous about this. Uh, but Dylan, would you please uh, introduce our guest of the week? I'm very excited about this. Yeah. So this week our guest is a multi-talented, uh, just kind of all-around writer talker narrator whatever you want uh actor mix nikki endress hey hello. everybody thanks oh, so much hello. for having me <laughs> no thank no thank you mm -hmm. for having us just giving us the ability to <laughs> chat with you we absolutely are so so thrilled with this um but for people that don't know who you are for whatever reason uh will you let our fans know who like what is the thing you're most proud of or what people would kind of find you first yeah, well, I'm I'm an artist, uh, but the official kind of slug line is uh, mix Nikki E, they and she. Oh, oh, um, I'm an adopted Asian American, non-binary, trans feminine, queer actor, comic voice artist and audiobook narrator. Yeah, yeah right and such a perfect voice for all of that as well. Uh, but, it, you know, for people that watch television they actually would have seen you on just a lot of things and uh you know doing a lot of research uh on just your past works we saw that you were on a lot of television shows you're pretty prolific when it comes to some of the best shows out there you know like pushing daisies and uh even drake and josh as well as victorious like there's a lot of really high quality stuff on your resume that's amazing oh thanks i love the way you framed that <laughs> <laughs> um no i mean no, i am very i am very grateful um that you know i've i've you know my resume has you know great shows um i i, I guess the because you know i'm you know we're kind of like sharks in hollywood i was just like swimming forward always trying to move so it's like oh well those were great shows but they're um they pull my shoulder down um it's like oh but they're they're far away in a long in a time long ago and they're being rebooted now they're so old but <laughs> no but you know it's like let's take the let's take the joys and the wins where we can i'm i'm yeah and and there were great people to work with you know so that's something to celebrate too getting to work with awesome humans yeah, I mean, those are the shows that really sculpted who we are and, and made sure that we were looking at the right things and, and trying to create the, the, the cooler content. So um, yeah. thank you for being part of our pop culture, which is amazing. Um, now, the one thing that really stood out to us, uh, and we had a, another friend on, um, it was the uh, the Asian American Eyes, the, the, the immigrant comedy special. Um, that thing is really doing very well. Um, what, what was that like, doing like a whole stand-up routine? Uh, it was my first time. Um, okay. I had just taken a stand. Okay, so the, the the story 
for those of you who haven't seen it yet, please check it out. It's called Asian Americanized, an immigrant comedy special. It's by three Asian American comics, my friends Anna Toison Parsons and Aiden Park and moi, Nikki Endress. We self-produced um, a, a, a comedy special, which is basically kind of like um, three sort of um, funny one-person shows smashed in together to make a whole comedy special. And um, yeah, it's like I, Anna and Aiden met, I think, doing a play or something. Um, and so they'd known each other. And then I met Anna in acting class. And for her birthday, we um, we all, like we all three of us were there at the same time one year. And I met Aiden and he's like, you're funny. You should do stand up. And I'm like, oh, I have no idea what. To and so um, he put me on stage at the Laugh Factory, which was my debut. At the time, I totally took for granted that was like a thing that is brag worthy. Um, and yeah, I did all right. I didn't know what I was doing. For someone who didn't know what they were doing, I, you know, it's like, hey, I've yeah, I've built my career telling other people's jokes. So like I understood <laughs> how to say things, but my joke structure and writing for myself was still very uneducated. And I took a class and then fresh out of that class, I was very excited about everything. And Anna's just like, hey, let's, let's do our own. I'm like, okay, again, kind of just optimistically yes ending life and not really thinking about how what that would take and um i i struggled a little bit during the production because i i wanted it to be good and i it, but it was my first time i didn't really have a frame of reference and um i felt like anna and um aiden really took care of me as teammates and fellow artists and we kind of it was it was a bonding project and we um i think the end result is something that we're all really proud of yeah, we had Anna on uh, her ep uh, their episode just came out this last week, and it was absolutely amazing. And we're excited to talk to uh, Aiden as well. And that was one of the things that 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 they were so excited about was just kind of putting this thing together and making sure that they could highlight the heritage and highlight uh, you know th this particular point of view. Now, what what was that like? Like you know, going into knowing you had to do a stand up, knowing that this was going to be a comedy special. What what was your kind of thought process putting together? this routine like what what was was there like a through line or just here's my life life's crazy that's a good question i found that um there was a through line for sure um and it was it was a mixture of it being organic and also then becoming um sort of a, a mission vision values kind of enterprise um it just so happens that the three of us um who are already friends have a lot of overlapping things in common so we're um, none of us were born in the U.S. We all came here from somewhere else in Asia. <laughs> and um, uh, like and Anna and I are both moved through the world as, as women. Aiden and I are both queer. And between our and we're kind of all the same generation. Um, you know, we're elder millennials. So we grew up in an analog world, but mm -hmm. you know, everything's digital now. Um, and so sharing kind of all of that and um, our different, ex <clears throat> how similar we are in that we're all Asian American artists in LA, you know, um, interested in making diverse um, content and telling, uh, you know, really human stories, but with cultural specific specifics. Um, that as much as that's in common, we all have really different upbringings and experiences about how we got here. And so we wanted to talk about how, you know, being Asian American is not a monolith, just like, you know, any kind of marginalized group. Um, but then also, like, we just wanted to explore how, how difference is a good thing and how by embracing difference, we discover how much we're all alike at the same time. And so it was, um, yeah, so the through line then became, it, it kind of, we reverse engineered it. We're like, well, what's our favorite? What's the art and the artist that we respond most to? And I think it was Anna and I who were just, we're like, have you seen Hannah Gatsby's Nanette? Oh my God, have you seen um, Ali Wong's Baby Cobra? And we're like, I want to do work like that. I want to work with them. I want to be having coffee with them. And we're like, let's do it then. Our special will be like kind of the, the deeply affecting, like, soul touching, <laughs> um, like based on trauma, I mean, it's trauma, right? Um, Nanette um, with the um, Asian specific kind of um, uh, uh, iconoclastic and celebratory Ali Wong style. And we're like, okay, we want both of those elements. So we kind of use that as a recipe book to be like, okay, well, let's use our own spices, our own flavors 
and um, kind of use our those as touchstones. And I and it really helped keep um, all three of our because we all like wrote separately and then kind of and it was cool how we were able to find moments to sort of call back to each other or um, allude to something someone else said. And um, even just in the order that we went, Anna's up first, I'm in the middle, and then there's Aiden. It, it kind of progresses, it builds on itself. So by the time um, Aiden's sharing his set, you've already seen Anna and I, and it, it's cumulative. I think it, um, and a lot of that was organic, but you know, we're, I mean, we're professionals. Like we, we had some intention <laughs> in the crafting of it, but it was, it was a magical thing for it to just feel um, like it was coming together, you know? Yeah. And you have such like a vibrance and like a like a, a just a a, a great uh, speaking style. What what was that like doing like stand up instead of like you know having a script and then being able to take multiple takes? Like what was was that something you are interested in maybe doing more of? That's such a good question. Um, yeah, I, I've I've recently entered into the um, voiceover and audiobook world just um, kind of because of the pandemic, because the, the on-camera stuff was just, and live stuff was just dead. And I've really fallen in love with it. Um, and so to, to, to your question, it's like, I think the, the first feedback, feedback that I got when I started comedy and as I continue to get narrating, uh, like I just did a nonfiction and I might keep it conversational. Like it's keep it conversational. <laughs> I have this erudite, uppity way of reading shit like it's it, like the way i talk is very like casual and colloquial um but i'm also very like animated i I'm, i i stress things i'm dramatic and you know showy with the way that i just am an expressive artsy fartsy kind of person yeah um but yeah when i'm reading stuff i i sound i i sound like like a stuck-up robot and so <laughs> even writing my own like writing, like I'd be telling a joke and, and people like, okay, Nikki, you sound like you think you're better than us. I'm like, but this joke <laughs> is about how everyone needs to care about each other. I'm like, yeah, well, change your tone. Um, <laughs> so my mentors, mentor after mentor, comedy mentors, voiceover mentors, audiobook mentors, they're all, Nikki, make it conversational. So that has been my journey. <laughs> and it's yeah. helped in my on-camera acting. It's helped in my voiceover. It's helped everywhere because it's not something I do on purpose but I think it speaks to that insecurity um growing up and like and English is my mother tongue I um I was adopted as a baby so I only ever grew up speaking American English but I still got all those microaggressions about people being surprised like oh your English is so good or especially you know I'm I'm trans um so like you have a deeper voice and there would be times where I'd talk to people on the phone at like a day job and they come into the office and meet and like oh I'm looking for um like an older white man. And I'm like, nope, that's me. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so it's just, the, just those experiences building up time after time for, you know, like decades of my life. I think I unconsciously kind of thought, oh, well, I need to sound like um like an old white professor man if I want to be taken seriously, mm -hmm. if I want to be heard. Um, and thankfully, I think that's not the case. And the feedback has been, no, no, Nikki, we want to, we want, we want your crass iconoclastic, like highbrow vocabulary, lowbrow delivery sort of <laughs> flavor. Like that's what we want. <laughs> that, honestly, that's what I want. I don't no. want another old white man talking to me about anything. Uh, now, <laughs> you, you kind of uh, hopped into, I guess, Hollywood and uh, in, in, it looks like 2006 was one of the first credits I could find. Um, what, what was the drive to, to be on, uh, you know, uh, in front of the camera? Oh gosh. I, you know what? It's so corny. It's kind of a calling. I don't know what else to call it. I don't like to put a religious spin on it, but it's like one of those things that I, I don't know. It's like, I always knew that I was an artist, that um, my expression and creativity would happen. It wasn't so much a choice. Um, like it happens in the way that I cook and clean and drive my car. Like, I mean, it's, I don't mean like woo or insufferable about it, but um, I'm sure you know for for you or for anyone else in your life who's kind of a quirky artsy type, it is kind of like oh, you little space cadet, like you have to have a little flourish when you pull out your checkbook. Yeah, you know, like I don't know what it is, but it's like a thing. It's a th and I always had that thing. So when it, I guess um, I thought 
I just subconsciously now looking back, I, I, I want to attribute to my younger self that it was all about representation, that um, I had never seen anyone like myself on, on television or someone almost like myself, but not quite. So like Asian, but not queer or queer, but not Asian or queer, but not trans or trans, but not non-binary. And so I thought, okay, I, 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 there's, um, maybe I'm overconfident or, but I just thought like, well, then why not me? Why not me? You know, if I'm the one with the problem, why don't with, with this issue, why don't I try to solution it somehow? Um, but then also I think it was just, I, I hated everything else. I, I didn't, I tried, I went to school for psychology, which I still love as a concept and as a field of study, but I like doing the actual science part and like the research and the data and the study design. Like none of that was like fun or exciting for me. I just like all the pontificating, you know what I mean? Um, and, and it's like, I suck at math. I'm just not good at like logic and math stuff. Like, it, you know, I'm not athletic. I mean, I'm a martial artist, but for me, because it's art, I don't need to be athletic in a classical sense because I'm training for something different. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So if the byproduct is, oh, I have better endurance and get cardiovascular workout, great. But that's not what I set out to do. <laughs> so like, I have to trick myself into things. But I think I was always just an artsy fartsy person. And despite starting out with um, like uh, visual art as my passion, um, there was, I just... The way my voice, my metaphorical voice, you know, we all have um, a, a raison d'être or like a reason to be, a thing that we mm -hmm. want to put out into the world, or at least I, I think my belief is that we all should. Um, that, uh, you know, like, because I'm an existentialist, right? It's like it, we create meaning for ourselves. So why not? And um, I guess for me, that voice, the medium of visual art was not did not amplify my voice in the way that I needed it to. Whereas, you know, literally using my literal voice um, and the expression and instrument of my body, I guess is where I found the most success in feeling seen and heard. And so I just kind of let that snowball into um, an entertainment career. Now, how did you how did you find that went? You know, like you you obviously worked a lot. You have a lot of credits down there. But did you find the reception of uh, what you were looking for to be uh, the reality? No, uh huh. <laughs> mm, like I'm gonna be real with y'all. <laughs> I am riding high on gratitude and just karma this year. This year, 2022 is the very first year in 17 years of being a professional artist that I am a full-time professional artist. And like, I don't have a non-artistic day job. Um, and it, it's, I, I wish I could say I was making more money than when I had a day job. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? It's, I have faith, you know, it, it's like starting a new business, right? This is year one of my only artistic endeavors. So like, there's going to be some building happening, but, um, but like, it's, it's, I've diversified. I'm doing, um, you know, voice work as well as like consulting and um, some other sort of stuff. And in addition to the on-camera acting and all the other stuff that I'm doing, but to answer your question, no, the, um, when I came here, there was still, uh, heavily, there just there weren't diversity and inclusion initiatives. Um, we were still just entering the age of HD and digital streaming. Um, I think, like when I interned in Chicago at um, an agency, like in 2004, like a year before I came out here, um, one of my intern jobs was calling the actors and telling them they needed to get color headshots. That black and white headshots were going away and everything was going digital. Um, you know, so I came out here when, and, and it was like HD, like there was, um, like the makeup artists were all learning how to do HD makeup. It was like, so it was a state of transition. So I feel lucky as a millennial that that was my, I, I think, I don't know if, if you guys are millennials too, but I feel fortunate that like my education and learning about new technologies, like is in line with where I am at in just the growth of myself as an adult or a human being. So I enter, I graduate college, I enter into an industry that's already changing and embracing technology. So I entered at a time where there was a little bit more openness, um, even if people were resistant. It's like, well, if you want to participate in the industry, you're going to have to adopt certain new practices. And that's just the way it is. 
Um, and some of that uh, undoubtedly helped me a little bit. And then certain shows, you know, like I've got some Nickelodeon shows under my belt for when I was first building my, my you know, mm -hmm. under fives and co-stars. Um, because, you know, they, they make shows for youth. And so even in the early 2000s, they were thinking about diversity and representing, um, you know, for the youth and, you know, the what is now the Gen Zers, mm -hmm. um, you know, what it's like to not just have a cast full of really Aryan looking people, you know? Um, and so I, 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 and then just looking back, I guess, at um, how things grew, I... My very first guest star was on a show called Sullivan and Son. It's a it was a um, multicam comedy on TBS, okay. and that was my very first um, guest star. And I, it was also the very first role that I booked as trans. Um, and it was again, it was the transition period. It was before Orange Is the New Black. It was before Laverne Cox on Time. It was before um, trans identities and issues were part of a mainstream knowledge base or and even part of the lexicon <clears throat> and so i was even just not totally out yet all my marketing materials were kind of androgynous or mm. you know just as a gay boy and so the the uh, audition breakdown for those of you who are not hollywoodsy peoples the breakdowns are kind of like the jobs wanted or the help wanted job posting ads in like non hollywood industries so they describe casting we're looking for so and so this and this and this and i always remind my non-hollywoody friends you're protected from being discriminated against for your age race gender disability and but in hollywood although technically legally we're protected casting is all about casting you based on those protected demographics mm -hmm. so it's it's a it's kind of a, a mind fuck um and uh and oftentimes feels emotionally um uh just demoralizing and dehumanizing but it's the way it is i knew that getting into it long story short they said the breakdown said we're looking for like a drag queen and like in the audition room this is pre-pandemic time so we all went into offices to audition mm -hmm. um there were a lot of it was i think it was specifically asian um, cause, uh, Steve Byrne, who was like the star of the show is, um, it was the whole thing. was about being half Korean and half Irish. Um, <clears throat> but there were like a bunch of dude, like not even drag Queens, like dudes. Right. Hmm. And so it was part of the issue was on where I'm going with the story is that sometimes we, and it's also in our special, sometimes we don't have the words, we don't have the concepts, we don't have the semantical ability to describe or communicate to other people what we're thinking or feeling or just sort of um, have an instinct about what we want a story to be. And I found myself right in the middle of that. They had no idea how to describe this character. I ended up booking it. And I only found out later after, because on set the casting director approached me and she's like, just want to say, we're so grateful that we found you because we had no idea how to describe what we're looking for. But you just came in and you were just a real girl. And then that was the moment where I was like, oh, ding, ding, ding. Okay, it's time to come out and just be trans IRL because like, that's how people are seeing the real me. I may as well just be the real me. And then I didn't work for five years. <laughs> so, and then like, I started building. So I've been building again. Um, and I came out like, like at 30 or something. Like, I mean, it's so it's like later in my career. And so just like I booked my first guest star and I'm like, oh, I've made it. I can start like working on meteor roles on, you know, and do, you know, b bigger projects. And, and it's almost like, well, by being true to myself, I set my career back to one, as we say in the industry. <laughs> and, you know, it's just fighting for, you know, for a one-liner here or there or anything, but people also didn't understand me. They're like, well, because I, I didn't have the words to describe myself. And um, they didn't, like, there was just no concept. If you can't conceive of something, you can't include it. So, you know, it was just, it was rough. And then one day at a time came along um, and, you know, bless that whole production. It remains um, just one of the best work experiences I have ever had. Um, cause from the top down, the top level, um, you know, like the IP owner, um, and like, um, you know, top producers, you know, Norman Lear and, um, 
and his team, and then uh, the showrunners, Gloria Calderon-Kellett and Mike Rice, were so sincerely and actively are still to this day um, devoted to um, diversity, inclusion, and representation and authenticity, not just tokenizing, oh, we need to see it, but like, no, we need writers and directors and editors and like we need crew and cast and everybody to actually care and lend their perspective to making this authentic human story. And I was the beneficiary of you know, one of those jobs in, in their, um, in their show. And it, it really, it, it changed everything for me, um, as an artist and, and even just my belief that I, that there was work out there for me and that, and the hope to keep going, you know, the drive, even if there wasn't that, you know, there are people in this industry who do give a shit and, you know, inspired me to take more emotional leadership myself. Yeah, uh, quick shout out to Cynthia. Uh, love one day at a time. Uh, now, Dylan, Dylan and I, obviously, we are cisgendered white men, and we try to write a lot of you know projects. We, we write a lot. And the thing is, we try as hard as we can to be as inclusive as possible. You know, obviously, the way our brains work, it's like, well, this is a guy, and he's a white guy, and he probably has a wife. Uh, and, and it's, it, you know, it's, it really takes uh, a lot of our time to to take a step back and go, wait a minute, does this have to be a white man? Uh, and we have like, you know, it, it is interesting, but do you have any kind of like advice for people that are trying to be more inclusive and trying to create more characters without it seeming uh, like hubris or anything as well? Yeah, that's really, that's a really good question. I do have opinions on that. <laughs> um, one, I think we gotta be kind to ourselves you know, you write what you know. Your lived experience is your lived experience. And if you happen to have a lived experience with, you know, intersections of privilege, and we all do have intersections of privilege, um, that's just part of the reality of what you have to offer as an audience. It's not a bad thing. But I think that, as you mentioned, the awareness to not stop there, let that be a starting point, not the ending point, is also like the number, I think, the fundamental attitude. And then seek help. There are um, sensitivity readers. It's a job where um, people will read your your script um, or your project, and they will analyze and offer suggestions um, and let you and look out for areas that are um, problematic or icky, or um, or even ask you questions about well, what did you mean by this? What's your intention, story wise? Um, <clears throat> you know, as opposed to whatever, whatever. I mean, because sometimes, especially if it's like autobiographical or where we're really close to a thing and we want to kind of capture the essence of how it happened, IRL or whatever. Like I've been in situations where someone was telling a story and they mentioned, oh, and then an Indian woman. And I'm like, okay, at the end of the story, I'm like, I thought we were going to go to like Bali or Delhi or something like uh, Bollywood. What, what, um, why why is it necessary to mention that she's Indian? Are you trying to like, does she get a story? I was like, oh no, it's just that that's what she was. And I'm like, yeah, but if it's irrelevant to the story or we're not building upon her as a human, it sounds racist. I'm not, ra I didn't say you're racist. I'm just <laughs> saying you might wanna, you know, things <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, or, you know, you can also um, ask a friend, but pay the friend. This is a big thing that I'm, you know, we, we want to, I'll acknowledge people's emotional labor. It's you're getting added value by asking someone like me to look over your short film. I'm not going to do it for free. We're friends and I know that you love me and you want to do right by everyone. So maybe I'll give you a discount, but like it's the principle of the thing, yeah. right? Like I did it for a friend um, where there was, um, you know, someone comes from an abusive home and I'm like, do we need a montage a visual montage um, of the trauma because I, I feel like outside of the con, like it's not the story is about coming together as a family um, despite coming from you know a horrid upbringing. Do we need to see the horror, uh, the horrid upbringing to to understand the bond of family? And if so, do we need to? Can we hear about it or can we? deepen the characters um experiences in the present by how psychologically that's affected them without actually having the trauma porn of you know 
opening scene, someone's getting beaten up. Like, and you know, you know, my friend really took that to heart and they're like, wow, didn't even think of that. That's great. Um, but again, it's like as a queer person who's seen too many stories, like blatantly showcase violence, targeted hateful violence, it, it, it does, it becomes what we call the trauma porn it, where it, you know, I don't think it's, I think there are so many creative ways to tell a story that um, you can some oftentimes tell, a, like we have that whole rule of um, Chekhov's gun, right? Like if you have a gun, it's got to go off, but then also it's like show don't tell, let the audience, it's better if the audience is emotional, like it's the jaws thing. If you don't see the shark for the first hour of the movie, it's scarier Similarly, if you don't need to see someone suffer in order to know that they're suffering, it's more interesting and human to see what they don't show us. <clears throat> so um, I, I would say, yeah, so engage, engage help, enlist help. And it's good for networking because then you get to establish yourself and your brand and your work as something that as somebody and your work is something that cares. And then you get to network with other artists and creative people <clears throat> who are align similarly in terms of brand values and like i'm very much into brand these days and like the <laughs> you know who i went to the 2020s um with so much self-created content and so much intense competition with everybody entering the streaming world branding isn't for me at least it, it's not even like a company identity anymore it is but it's I think for me, for artistic integrity, it's like the kinds of people I want to work with and the kinds of work I want to do. And because it's so oversaturated these days, I'm I'm okay turning down working with someone famous if their brand doesn't align with mine and make a lot less money or even do something for free with people that I want, I look forward to collaborating with every single day and feel safe with. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. Now, with all the content out there, do, do you consume content? Do you watch a lot of TV or movies? I do. Uh, less so since I've been... Okay, thankfully, hashtag gratitude. I've been very busy. Um, but yeah, I do. I do, I do. So um, I've been a little bit pickier about the things that I, I do watch now. And so I always try to watch um, stuff that my friends or mentors or just people I really admire are doing first again it's that branding thing right mm -hmm. i want to i want to follow the work of people that i i admire um but also just uh thematically i find myself really drawn into anything um kind of stylized uh or yeah i i do always check out the fresh takes on an old thing i don't always watch more than one episode or more than 30 minutes of the opening because you know it's it can be hacky, um, but there are every once in a while things that surprise me and that I'm like, you know, there there is some value in reinvention. I think, um, but I think my personal opinion is that it's becoming kind of hacky and crutchy, <laughs> and um, the the we're selling nostalgia to people and we're selling um, the curiosity of how to reimagine an old, rather than taking a risk on on something brand new. Yeah. Uh, which might actually be cheaper to produce, you know? So I, I have mixed feelings about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree. What was the last thing you saw that really just made you step back and go, all right, I got to think about this for a minute. Oh, oh, I think you, Pete. I love, I love those. Um, oh gosh, I, I want to, okay. If I'm being really, really honest, what, oh gosh, it was something bad though. Like I, I thought about it. But this is one of those things that it tests my own. I I, I enjoy watching bad stuff sometimes mm -hmm. because it tests my own literacy as like a professional in the entertainment industry. How much do I know about editing and storytelling and blah blah blah? Um, what was it though? I'm having a hard time. Oh god, it was so bad. It, it's already gone out my memory. But it was one of those. Um, Oh, yeah, I want to stay positive. I won't even <laughs> rat on it even if I find out what it was. I hope I, I Jeez, thought you were gonna say Marmaduke. I, really, I think, gosh, the last time I really sat down and enjoyed a thing, like watched it, didn't just like referentially try it out, but watch from start to finish with intention was the eyes of Tammy Faye, starring oh, Justin oh, yeah. Yeah. for which she hmm. won an Oscar. 
first of all, I am a huge fan of Chastain. I think she is talented as fuck, first of all. But also just reading her interviews and um, everything, I feel like we, I work in a similar way that she does, which I really um, feel just... It's just great to see someone so talented and so accomplished with such a fantastic career um, who I feel like we could have an artsy little coffee together and like get along well, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So I just, I, I so appreciate her. But, and I, I realized that um, she worked on that movie for like seven years or something. She had required the rights for a while and just seeing the, um, the work, um, you know, and everyone else too, but um in particular, her, she approached my take on her performance as that she led so much with heart uh, that it, it would just, it, for, for as an actor, just finding that emotional core of a, a fictional, well, in her case, based on real person. Well, and I did that for Anna Ariella. Um, it, it's such a beautiful act of empathy. Even if that person isn't like you or someone you would never want to associate with in real life, I find that the, the practice of that empathy for me as a human being makes me a better person. And so to answer your earlier question, I wonder sometimes, if we're getting real personal here, um, <laughs> I wonder sometimes if I didn't become an actor in particular as, an, as any kind of artist, as an actor in particular, because in order to develop my own emotional intelligence and heal any kind of emotional wounds I had, I needed to choose a career where my job would be empathy. My job would be investigating and mining in a script all the details and the um, information I can to figure out what the emotional heart of a person is, what they care most about, why they exist, why they wake up every morning, why they want to and I don't get super psychological with it, but um, it, it's that practice for me, um, I feel makes me a better human. And I, I, that's what I got from her performance in, in hmm. Eyes of Tammy Faye. And, and so, and I thought it was an artfully told story. And Michael Showalter, who I worked with on The Dropout, directed it. And it was phenomenal as well. So I, I kind of combined it, right? People whose work I admire <laughs> with the thing that was given to me as a you know, that I got to vote on. So... <laughs> Yeah, I, I would do anything if Michael Showalter even yeah. just kind of walked around there. Uh, I just rewatched all of the Wet Hot uh, series it's again. Amazing, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just too too funny. Um, now I, I talk all the time, and I rarely let Dylan uh, get get a word in. Uh, do, do you have any questions that I maybe I did not go over yet? Uh, I'm curious, just based on having read the, your biography on your website and talking about your comedy special, and you know, getting your toes into having a voice and perspective. Um, did you find writing that has kind of like ignited a passion to write something else? You look forward to writing, adding that to your resume at all, or you think you're going to focus primarily on just being on screen for the foreseeable future? That's a really good question. Um, right now I'm very much concentrated on the acting. However, <clears throat> I love writing and I love literature. And I think that entering into the audiobook space where I'm reading books a lot, mm -hmm. um, I've just fallen in love again so much with literature. That was my, okay, so background. I, like my first artistic spark of talent was in visual art and drawing and yeah. painting. But then I discovered writing and um, I, 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 I say this with humility. I think I'm a talented writer, um, but I don't love it. <laughs> like not like borderline dislike it. It's one of those, that, like, remember that movie Center Stage about the ballerinas? <laughs> and, like, the best ballerina had, like, she had a stage mom, and she had to stand up to her mom. And she's like, did you ever think that ballet was just something I was really good at and not something that I was in love with? And I'm like, oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> oh, poor me, I'm so talented. But the thing is, sometimes we do have a talent mm -hmm. or an affinity that we're not passionate about. And for me, writing, I'm, I'm thank my lucky stars, I... I'm a, I love literature and that I get literature and that it's um, something that I love as an artist. And it's just too bad. It does zero for me um, to like create it. I, I just, I love engaging with other great writers and being able to appreciate um, their writing from a literary point of view as a fan um, who studies literature, but doesn't necessarily write. But the thing is like, yeah, the, the special proof to me that I, I, it would be, it would be just um, 
I wouldn't be honoring my own self if I didn't write. Um, but there's only enough time in a day mm -hmm. or a week or a month or, you know, a phase of a career. So I think, you know, at, at some point I might get in into writing some more. Um, I'm still writing jokes, at least. Um, so I'm still coming up with new material for <clears throat> stand-up um, events. But uh, yeah, I, I, I actually, if I'm, if I'm, the thing that I do like is editing. Mm -hmm. I think as maybe um, a story editor, uh, more so than a copy editor, um, or like a collaborator with someone who maybe does the heavy lifting of the actual writing of scenes, but I help with sort of the macro of um, beats and mm -hmm. uh, uh, just sort of um, like the the philosophical sort of meta. Like I'm very much into elegant design, so my favorite writing is and favorite comedy is where it's just the meta, like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts or mm -hmm. like, I mean, Hannah Gadsby is a genius at this, which is why I'm such a huge fan of hers. Um, but yeah, it's that satisfying, sublime feeling that by the end of witnessing or experiencing a work of art, it's like, damn, that was good because the story was good but the creation and artistry of making that story was also good. Mm -hmm. And guess what? They like reference each other. Like, ah, it's like, <laughs> this, like quantum, like connection to me. That's my, that's what I love most about art. And that's my favorite art. I think. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Hey, good question, Dylan. Uh, <laughs> speaking of favorite art, one of the things that we do that we love doing is just creating content. So if it's okay with you, we're going to move on to what we do in this show, uh, which is uh, <laughs> trying to pitch ideas that uh, hopefully people like and see what happens. Um, and I think, I think Dylan won last week. So I'm going to let him go first. Sure. Did you win last week? I don't remember. Yes, you do. <laughs> uh, yes, I think I did. Anyway, okay. sure, I'll go first. Why not? Um, so this was just inspired by a few different things I had seen online, and I'm a big genre person. I like weird supernatural stuff, fantasy, sci-fi elements, horror, whatever. Um, so after someone dies, they hang around their grave as a ghost, and they're kind of in a funk. Um, the, their family's moved on. Their friends have moved on. The work hardly noticed their absence. The world's kept moving. They don't have a whole lot else to do but sit on their gravestone and watch the trees age. Uh, but then one night, a mysterious figure in like a dark and sinister robe comes up, performs a creepy ritual, and raises their body from the dead as a zombified servant. So indignant now, the main character has to go around as a ghost to find a way to prevent the necromancer from using their corpse as a servant for all sorts of nefarious schemes and shenanigans. Ooh. Ooh. Whether okay. it's whether it's repossessing their body or just getting their body unanimated again, we can figure out. But yeah, so a ghost a ghost has to end their zombified corpse. Yeah, so somebody so somebody stole their body, possessed their body, and they're trying to get it back as a ghost. Yeah. Oh, all right, that's cool. Ghost versus uh, zombie. Why not? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, okay, so uh, yeah, okay, yeah. The idea that I have it's 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 kind of similar actually in a weird way uh and i came up with this this morning and i text dylan uh <laughs> now i had this idea for this scientist um that uh, realized that his body their body is uh degrading it's going away quickly and they have the the capacity to move their consciousness to something else to a different robot or a, a computer the only thing they have around is this sex robot that they have uh not for sex uh but just because they are into uh beautiful design and hmm. so <laughs> they put the, they put their conscious inside of this robot uh with the idea that this robot will be their body to help uh fix everything but it is um limited to <laughs> whatever that that's certain thing functions has. Yeah. Yeah, just, yeah i don't know if they have like finger you know, digits or whatever um so yeah so it, it, it's the idea of, of a scientist putting themselves into uh a a sex robot um and then trying to engage with life as this uh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with that i guess okay. <laughs> now <laughs> pretty please nikki andres yeah Wh which one of these two ideas uh do you think are uh, uh fun enough to take up 15 minutes of your time <laughs> oh 
Okay, well, in that frame is... Woo! Oh, gosh. There... Oh, this is a hard one. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pitch changing the frame. Not so much which one is funner, but which one I have a stronger idea to build upon. <laughs> okay. That's fair. Let's go with the sex robot. Yes. Okay. I knew it, Dylan. I knew it. Okay. So <laughs> we have uh, we have a scientist and um, their, their body is degrading or something. Their body is going away physically and they have the ability of moving their consciousness into something else. All that they have available at the time uh, is this uh, this robot. Now, you said you had an idea to build on this. What, what was an idea? Yeah. So my pitch for this is let's make what if the scientist is is brilliant enough to transfer a consciousness to um, a digital uh, vessel because they have um, forsaken relationships their whole life and um, minimized the people who cared about them and wanted the best for them. So ironically, only at the end of their physical existence where their only option is to go into a sex robot they take for granted that people just don't use the sex robots to get off for fun, but that for some people, that's how they experience love. And so now he's a slave to a love bot and gets <laughs> to experience or is confronted with all of the human frailties, vulnerabilities, shame, and um, kinks and um, private intimate moments that he missed out on when he was uh, physically capable and all the things that he forsaken. Oh, I love that. So it, it, so it goes from like being a, a kind of sci-fi thriller to being uh, like a character study, really, of someone trying to find love in a new way. No, I, I think that's... Well, and a psychological tragedy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, I wanted cool. to be wrecked. Yeah, okay. So uh, so if we're building this out, we're going to start with this, this this scientist person. Now, uh, what, Dylan, what kind of person do you think will set up for this scientist? Uh, it would need to be probably like a, like a stern person, right? Co obviously career obsessed. Yeah, yeah right. for sure career obsessed. They've isolated everyone because they're pursuing some discovery. Whether right, cool. they are a roboticist or someone who studies how to, I mean, if you're doing, you know, digitizing the consciousness is an old sci-fi trope. So they could be studying that. That's kind of going on right now. Like yeah. some, someone who is very focused on what kind of breakthrough they're trying to break through with. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. Um, now, Nikki, when, when you're obviously a very creative <laughs> person, do, do you like come up with ideas a lot? Like just kind of weird, stupid ideas uh, the way yeah. that I do? Now, yeah, it's usually when I'm peeing or taking a shower. Mm -hmm. so there's always kind of like falling water involved. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's there's nothing that, that gets my brain moving than some babbling water as well. So yeah, no, I, can, no, I, can, I can agree with that. Um, okay, now when thinking of uh, of this kind of idea, what what do you see this as? Do you see this as like a feature film? Do you see this as like a like a short kind of a thing, or do you see this as a comic strip? Like, what, how do you see this so we can kind of proceed? Oh yeah, the medium. I'm kind of I'm feeling limited series. I like okay. that. Okay, cool. Yeah, so yeah, we'll we'll episode. do like yeah, like like a six to eight episode. Um, we'll probably put this on like uh like a not peacock right we'll put it on like stars <laughs> roku uh, yeah, yeah so, so we can get a little bit of a budget to it as well okay so uh episode one you know we're obviously going to set up uh now now uh nikki when you're reading you know your stories or, or watching anything is there is there a style of storytelling that you prefer like do you prefer linear storytelling do you prefer the three arc structure i love when form reflects content so I would say I love asynchronous and um, uh, the the out of order kind of stuff mm -hmm. when it's story appropriate. I hate it when it seems like it's just sort of frenetically thrown in there. Mm -hmm. Similarly, linear storytelling. I it's all in for me. Storytelling is all about information setting. It's kind of like a joke. You're setting shit up to get a payoff later so like i like to kind of reverse engineer from the outside in 
So it's like, what's the what's the story we're trying to tell with this? Like my pitch is um, it's a tragedy. So if it's a tragedy, we, you know, need, there needs to be um, an ironic fall from grace, right? Do we want there to be redemption in the end? Yes or no? Because that because I feel like all of that sets up the first scene. It sets mm -hmm. up the first episode. It sets up the opening credits mm -hmm. sequence. It's Westworld. Oh my gosh, Westworld is so good mm -hmm. at this. Like, <laughs> yeah. all right. So, all right, Dylan. Now, if we were to do like say six episodes, if we do a three arc structure, right? Uh, let's say, what what do you think would be? So, the the first part is uh, learning who this person is, learning that they are uh, overworked. Um, lacking just social mm -hmm. relevance whatsoever and uh then things are going bad for them physically now i would assume they have to realize that they lost a lot of this out in their life so but that probably isn't the reason they did this uh and it's probably just the physical reason they do this right so yeah. once once they're in this 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 love bot um they are trying to what would you say is a good push for this to, to, to get to where we're trying to get to with the story? I mean, is their main goal to heal their human body or is their main goal just like, I don't need, if I don't need my human body, it's starting to fail. I'm going to take on an artificial one that'll last longer. Cause I think that changes how sympathetic the character is because I think, I think there's a bigger challenge in sympathizing with someone who wants to abandon entirely biologic life but i might just be reading into old sci-fi tropes and stuff like that yeah um but it would at least ask different philosophical questions about what life entails yeah through the story um uh, yeah i like that so nikki do you think that uh the, this the scientist person should be trying to fix their body or realize like I i'm gonna stop being a human and see what the next evolution is uh, I like the back to the body. Okay. Yeah. Okay, ticking, cool. Then we've got cool. a we've got a ticking time bomb, mm -hmm. and the and a chance at redemption or a chance that everything's for nothing. I love that. Cool. So, I love no, that. Yeah, completely agree. So we have uh, this this scientist. They're putting themselves into this digital form uh, to preserve their body so that they can do some more work, take the time they need to take. Uh, almost like a like a self uh, Mister Freeze situation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, cool. So um, now, I, I love the, I love the idea of them encountering people and then finding love. Uh, I think that would be a challenging story to kind of get into, but I absolutely love that. Uh, what What do you think is a way that they can uh, maybe in, encounter love the first time? Yeah, I would love for there to be uh like a great like an original sin sort of thing for this protagonist scientist hurts somebody um breaks their heart um or you know rejects it's like i guess do we want to make it a romantic thing they um they rebuffed someone who really loved them or a familial thing like maybe they um abandoned their family um some kind of thing that uh, at the time they may have thought was justified, but like there's a lesson needs to be learned. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And um, we need them to have, I feel like in order for the um, them to learn about love or connection um, or how important that is, um, they need to have uh, hurt someone else um, by rejecting it. Yeah. You know, because it's a sex bot, let's keep it romantic. Let's not yeah. in family and kids I, I, no yeah. i like that and I, I like them maybe having like a partner uh maybe years ago that yeah. it, it could have been romantic and maybe they misunderstood it and uh and and push that person away um and then looking back when they're like oh i wish i had a, a partner to help me uh it's when they start realizing like oh that's what i was you know kind of looking for is this partnership yeah. we, maybe the they have a history of backstabbing so like we give them a few different um things to show that it's a character thing or it's a it's a continual choice it's a lifestyle thing so it could be um a romantic partner that's always been there for them and as soon as they you know get an opportunity to like move to switzerland and engineer this thing with this team they ditch their lover or they have um, a best friend and they worked on a project together in grad school but then he stole the idea and took all the credit um and so, so he betrayed the best friend um or whatever uh 
yeah, some stuff like that. So he's got a history of being kind of cutthroat, um, yeah. mm -hmm, egotistical all for himself. I I absolutely love that. And and this is why I love doing this show so much is because I have an idea that I find kind of funny. And then I shoot it over to Dylan. And then he usually ignores me until I like work on a little bit more. <laughs> uh, but, you know, as we engage with other people and we, we realize that as our community kind of gets bigger and we start just interacting with people, our stories get so much better uh, just by talking to somebody, you know. And, and I think that was one of the main reasons we wanted to do this show so much was so that we could uh, find people that we wouldn't come across in, in everyday life and then just have a quick conversation with them and make sure that our brain gets bigger with the right amount of knowledge and uh, and it makes us create better things. Um, now, this, I think, is, is a really interesting project and it's going to take a little bit more time than what we have. So uh, we're going to put this one on the back burner. Uh, and if, if, if you're, if you're you know, if you want to see how this is going, we do a live show on Tuesdays where we take these old concepts that we work on this show and we kind of just really keep working those on with a live audience. So um, we're going to move that over to this thing because I think that this is a project that we got to spend a little more time on because I love the idea of, uh, of someone learning or relearning love through their mistakes, uh, through you know the, the the inhuman ability of being digitized. So I think that's great. Um, but and I like the sex angle. I think that there's a lot of fertile <laughs> ground there that other people have shied away from. I'm I'm a sex positivity and consent um, advocate as well. So I'm just thinking about the ways people would could use um, a sex robot in ways that are not just um, I, I guess. Just exploring all the ways, including, you know, yeah. beautiful and strange ways. Well, I mean, honestly, that's how me and Dylan got started. One of our mm -hmm. original shows was, was called Silicon Angels. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I, was Actually, yeah. I, could, I was asking if I could be his sex bot. Uh, no, we had the idea that, uh, you know, in the future, these, these love robots are going to be more prolific. And because they are technology, the IT side of that was going to just flourish. So we had this yeah. concept of like, what would happen with all these people that are that need help with these, you know, uh, uh, futuristic technologies and them going awry. So, uh, yes, yeah, so we created the show about just the IT department of, of a love robot company, uh, which we were making fun of a lot of toxic masculinity and uh, trying to break down a lot of like sex barriers, mm -hmm. having these, you know, these men, you know, call and talk to, you know, women or whoever uh, and have to explain their problems. We thought that was pretty clever. Um, but yeah. but this idea is really cool. And I, and I absolutely love uh, uh, just what you've given to it. Um, but more importantly, thank you so much for being such just a beautiful brain, a beautiful human, uh, a great actor, and just a wonderful advocate for, for everything that we find important. And we're trying to make sure that other people think, uh, it, it, well, push how important it is to other people too. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank mm -hmm. you. And you're welcome. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's alignment, right? As we were talking about earlier, I, yep. So grateful. Thank you so much for inviting me. I've had a marvelous time with y'all. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And we were so excited to have you on here. Um, for people that are, are, are listening and, and watching this, uh, where can they find you? Do you have Instagram or your social media? I know you're a brand advocate. So uh, sell, sell it to us. Where, where's your brand? Where do we find you? Yeah, it's I'm mostly on Instagram, but you can find me uh, if it's at Mix Nikki E. If, you, if I'm there, then I'm there and you're invited to follow and like. Um, but yeah, the best way just, um, go to my website and uh, everything relevant to me that I would invite you to enjoy is, is all there. One stop shop, just my name, NikkiEndress.com. I love it. We'll cool. add as many links uh, in the show notes as possible. Please check out uh, their Instagram. Uh, but more importantly, please go check out Asian Americanized, uh, the immigrant comedy special. It is uh, phenomenal. And it is it really just changes perspective and uh, makes you giggle the whole time. So uh, please go check all that out. And once again, thank you for being mm -hmm. so great and taking your time uh, to talk to people that are trying to do the things that you're trying, that you're doing. So uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <sighs> You're so welcome. Thank you. Uh, Dylan, do you have anything you want to tell our friends out there? No. I didn't think so. All right, everybody. Make sure you drink some water. Uh, they have been Nikki. Uh, he's been Dylan, wherever this is. Uh, over yeah, there. you got it. <laughs> and I have been Zach, but you've been great. Have a great day. Bye, everybody. Thank you.
Thank you.